you have a question. So if you have a question, you'll be recorded too. Yes, it's not a bad idea. It's just, yeah, not a bad idea. Yeah, I know, I know. Okay, for those who may be listening in maybe 20 years to this tape, hopefully the Lord will be back by then. It's a joke, it's a joke, but no, not really a joke. All right, let's begin with prayer, okay? Father God, thank you for the stay you've given, and we ask your blessing on uh, our study in Revelation. Uh, may your spirit give us illumination, give us understanding. Lord, as we uh, work through uh, this passage uh, in chapter 11, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the uh, privilege of, of, of being together and studying your word. So attend uh, to what we have to say tonight, Father, and to our deliberations, and may the Holy Spirit truly help us to grow in our faith in Christ Jesus, who's, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in chapter 11. So if you want to turn there, uh, we're going to um, read the entire chapter. I'm going to read the entire chapter. We'll probably get through verse, uh, verse 14 tonight, but let's go ahead and read it. Um, chapter 11 of Revelation. Everybody, someone coming else coming in? Okay. Good. All right. Hey, Rose. We've saved several seats for you, Rose. Big one. Big one. Good. Anywhere. Yeah, good to see you. We just started reading uh, chapter 11 of Revelation, so I'm just going to pick up there in verse 1, let you get there, dear. All right. And... All right. Okay, then I saw, then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where the Lord was crucified. After three and a half days, some, of the, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. 
There were flashes of lightnings, trumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. All right. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's begin looking at this. Um, now, again, uh, my contention is that this is symbolic language. All right. That's what we're looking at. We're not looking at things we can press literally. All right. Um, now, some will differ with me on that. Would, but I, I just am comfortable going in the direction we've gone in with this. Doesn't mean that these things aren't real. All right. We're going to talk about what the realities are, but the realities are presented to us in symbolic form. Okay. Even the numbers are symbols. All right. Okay. So let's talk about what happens now. John, John, if you go back to chapter 10, verse 11, uh, John was, or chapter 10, verse 10 and 11, John was given that scroll, remember? That little scroll, and he ate it, and it was sweet to his taste, but bitter in his stomach. And he was commissioned to prophesy again, prophesy against many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So, so John, John has this prophetic role that he is basically commissioned to fulfill. All right, that's the first thing John is given. The second thing John is given is a rod. Uh, to measure, okay, a rod to measure, like a staff, all right? And he was told to rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those worship, who worship there. So he was to measure the temple, the altar, and those who worship there, right? But not to measure the court outside the temple. Now, we're thinking here probably about the Herodian temple, temple that Herod the Great built, and you may have seen models of it or pictures of it, right? The temple proper uh, is where the, the temple building is, is inside, was the Holy of Holies in the most holy place, and the altar is outside the temple, and that was an area where only Jews were permitted to go. You had the broader court, you had the court of the women, and you had the court of the Gentiles, and God-fearers could go there, all right? So what what John is told to measure, all right, is the alt is is the is the is the the inner temple itself and the altar and those who worship there, all right. So um, it, we have um, if you again the the prophet Ezekiel in chapters forty through forty eight of Ezekiel is, is, is sees a vision of a of of a of a man who comes with a measuring rod. And he's measuring the temple too. And if you read uh, Ezekiel's vision carefully, it's, it's this fantastic picture of a new temple. I mean, it's just everything is perfected. Everything's in perfect proportions. Uh, and, and, and so the measuring here is significant. The measuring of the sanctuary, okay, the counting of the worshipers and the measuring of the altar and the exclusion of the outer courts, okay, note what it says here, again, and in the outer courts, um, it's give, it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city, again, for 42 months. I will contend, as we go through the lesson tonight, that what we have here is a picture of the church, of Jesus Christ. A picture of the church during that same time frame, okay, that we've seen the six trumpets cover. Okay, we're having, now we're not looking at the, the, the effects of God's judgment on the world. We're looking at what has the church been doing during this same time period? Okay, what has the church been doing? And notice the measuring indicates a kind of preservation, a keeping, a protection. Okay, so the, the, the church is going to be in some sense preserved. All right. Preserved, but notice the outer court of the temple. So the temple represents the church. It's a symbol of the church, the people of God, the new covenant people of God. But notice that part of that temple sanctuary complex is exposed as well. Not all of it is exposed, okay? So the church is in some sense preserved, but in another sense the church is exposed to grave hostility from the nations, from the peoples of the earth, which is a symbol, again, of unbelievers. Right? So we're talking about the church in a broad, theological, pictorial way, right? So 
the idea that the Gentiles will trample down the holy city, okay, note with that, is a way of describing the truth that the church will be assaulted throughout that same period of time, okay, because of its witness. All right, you get the picture? Um, so let's talk about what he means when he says they will trample down the holy city. I think, again, the, the temple, the holy city here are one and the same. We know that because in, in the end of the book of Revelation, we have, the, we have the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, the holy city. It represents the people of God. So the holy city in, in Revelation stands often, always, for the new Jerusalem, the bride of the Lamb, the church. So you get a picture, way, a way of describing the church. The holy city, again, it will see, is set in contrast, okay, with what we call the great city. Okay, if you go to uh, verse 8, we see again the, the witnesses, the two bodies of the witnesses will lie in the street of the great city. Okay, and it says that spiritually is called or symbolically called by three names. What are those three names? First name is what? Pardon? No, no, we're talking about verse 8. Verse 8, that's okay. Sodom, we're talking, now there's a contrast here, okay? The holy city is the bride of Christ. The great city is not. Okay, the great city is described as Sodom, Egypt, and what else? The city where the Lord was crucified, okay, which is where? Pardon? Where was he crucified? Jerusalem, right? He was crucified in Jerusalem. So, Again, the holy city is set in contrast to, that great, to the great city. And Paul teaches, <clears throat> in, in Galatians in particular, that Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem, represented the opposition to Jesus. That this, was, this, this earthly Jerusalem, earthly city of Jerusalem, in Paul's day, was the seat of the anti-Jesus Jerusalem. The anti-Jesus Judaism, I mean. Okay? Um, he further saw the city, that is Jerusalem, physical Jerusalem, as spiritually corresponding to Mount Sinai and the slave woman Hagar, who is in slavery with her children. So Paul uses the same kind of imagery, right? He's talking about Jerusalem, not in a holy sense, but in a very unholy sense. So the great city, in, in chapter 11, verse 8, uh, is symbolic for what we might call the city of man, might we call the earth itself with all its unbelievers, the people that dwell on earth. Um, defiant, the defiance of Sodom and Egypt and Jerusalem and primarily captured, interestingly enough, in chapters 14 and chapters 16 and chapter 17 as Babylon. So all that's the same thing, okay? The great city is that which represents all that opposes God in this life, in this world, okay? The holy city represents God's people in the world. Where are we? We're in the great city, but we're the holy city in the great city, okay? That's the picture that John paints. So the time period, notice the time period where this takes place, so again, verses one through three, all right? Notice, it says, do not measure, do not measure the court, verse two, outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for how long? Forty-two months. Now, how long is forty-two months in years? Three and a half. How many days are three and a half or forty-two months? Twelve hundred and sixty. Okay, so we've got the same number set in three different ways. So you know something symbolic is taking place here. Okay? So the, the, the city, the, the, the holy city, all right, is in one sense being protected and measured and kept, but it's also being exposed as well, all right? So it, uh, one commentator describes this as the church is both vulnerable and invincible, okay? We're vulnerable to the onslaughts of persecution and resistance from the world. Christian people in the book of Revelation die physically. We've already encountered that with the souls under the altar, right? And we've already encountered that. But, again, 
they're, they're invincible in terms of their witness, in terms of their fidelity, in terms of the fact that God will help them continue to bear witness and hold forth the word of God. All right. So what we see here, I think, again, as we, we, as we talk about it, we see first in verses 1 through 11, the, the preservation of the church. It's, it's the seals, again, coming out. The seal, God seals us. We're his, chapter 7. Okay, here's the same sort of imagery presented a little differently. Okay, in terms of measuring, God, God measures. He says, this is mine. I'm going to expose this over here, but I'll let this be exposed. But this is mine. This is, these are my people. I will keep them. I will preserve them. I will keep them. And, and again, Jesus himself is described as the temple, isn't he? And we are described as Jesus' people as the temple. Here is a picture of the church. Faithful believers. Okay, that's how God sees us. So, um, if, if, so we're not talking about the literal temple in Jerusalem. We're talking, now what's the reality that this image portrays? The people of Jesus. Are, is that a reality? Yeah. It's a reality. It's a spirit. Is, is, God's, is God's presence among his people, tabernacling, tabernacling with his people by the Spirit, a reality? Yeah. Is God's promise to preserve and protect his people a reality? Those aren't, yeah, those are all realities. Those, those aren't made up things. But how are they being described, depicted, symbolically? Okay. Because we get into all kinds of trouble, I think, if we press it literally. All right? We do. Okay? And some interpreters have. Okay? Um, so this, this, this time frame is also symbolic. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's equivalent. They're all equivalent. Three and a half years, 42 months, 1260 days. They, just, they describe that same, same time frame. Uh, again, it's mentioned um, uh, later on in chapter 12. We're going to encounter another picture of the church or of the covenant community um, with the woman who gives birth to the Messiah. Uh, the child is kept in the desert for the same amount of time. Okay, The woman who gives birth to the Messiah, she's kept in the desert for the same amount of time, 1260 days. Again, the woman is depicted, another picture of flying, uh, being uh, uh, like on eagle's wings, and she flies to the desert. And she remains there three, again, three and a half years out of the serpent's reach. The picture in chapter 12 is the woman's about to give birth and we see the red dragon coming up, right? To devour her child, okay? Uh, and the child is brought up, taken up. And then the devil turns his attention to the woman and she's protected for three and a half years. Um, then the beast rises out of the sea and the great red, by the great red dragon is able to exercise a blasphemous authority for 42 months. So we have the beast operating for the same amount of time. So here the same symbolic numbers are used to describe the historical period. Now what historical period do you think they're describing? Okay, the seven, okay, the seven years. And what historical period is the seven years describing? What, what are the last days? From the, from the exaltation of Christ to the coming of Christ. The time frame of 42 months, 1260 days, um, uh, three and a half years are symbolic of that entire time period. From the resurrection of Jesus to his second coming. Okay. Now, for example, if we argue, as we'll argue, that the, that the child that's born and is t caught up into heaven is a picture of Christ himself, and the three and a half years begins when he's a, caught up to heaven, when does it begin? At his ascension. Okay, so these, aren't, they cannot, these cannot be pressed as literal numbers. These are symbolic numbers okay, of, the, of the same time period, of the same time frame. Yes, yes, Elaine. So, so what do you mean by making it more real? What do you mean? That literally it should be 70 years? Yeah, yeah see, I, I think that's where, where we've got to be careful, all right, 
in, in looking at these numbers in particular because the, the time frame in which the numbers are given to us, all right, describe events that I think take place throughout the history of the church, okay, throughout the history of the church, from the time of Christ's ascension to the time of his second coming. The, the, for example, the, 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 we, we saw that the, um, you know, the six, the, the six uh, trumpets, okay, they, they cover, they're these, these over-the-bow shots of judgment, right? They're partial. They're only, they're only going to be a third of things destroyed. And we said, at any given time, these things are happening. Now, there are people who disagree with me and say, just like you say, well, no, we're talking about seven literal years here. Okay, well, that's fine. Then, then, then if that's the case, okay, if that's the case, then it hasn't happened yet. Has it? I mean, even those people who say it's literal would say it hasn't happened yet. Okay, it hasn't happened yet. Okay, so does that mean that the book of Revelation hasn't had any significance until the seven years start? Okay, so that would be my point. If, if, what, if what we're having in this book, when we're told, blessed is he who reads it, and blessed is he, he who obeys it, okay, it was always been intended to be uh, read by the church, and understood by the church and benefited by the church so the church can remain faithful in its witness to Jesus Christ. If it were, if, for example, if the, if the people, say, in the second or third century, uh, interpreted Revelation um, similarly to how many people ter- interpret it today, they would say it didn't, doesn't apply to us, okay, because it hasn't happened yet. Like we're saying, it doesn't apply. People who hold that view are only interested in, basically interested in Revelation because they want to know when things are going to happen. Rather than saying, no, things are already happening. Okay, see, I would argue that this book is given to us, as I said, as a special ops manual to help us understand how to do spiritual warfare now. It can't be just simply in the push, pushed into the future. It's now. Now, does it not have any reference to the future? Of course it does. But it also has reference to the present, between the time between Christ's two comings. Okay? We, we have, what we have, and, and remember the argument that we made is that in the, in the first, the, the letters that are written to the churches, right? The letters are written to the churches. What, what we find those churches facing in the letters are the same things that are beginning to be expounded throughout the rest of the book of Revelation. Right now, I'm not saying that in the end, the the end of the, the to the end of the end, okay, <laughs> that these things won't be present up to the time of Christ's second coming. That that'll happen, but they're happening now, okay. And I would I would argue again as we look at this particular passage that it does it does speak of a time future to us, okay. If you bear with me, I'll show you when that is. But so there are there are things in the book that do speak of things that have not yet happened. All right, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. But that doesn't mean everything in the book has not yet happened. Okay, so we've got to look at the book. I think is helping us. But for example, this chapter just tells us, I think, that as the Church of Jesus Christ, God is going to preserve us, all right, and keep us. But we're also going to be opened and exposed to persecution, and to resistance. All right. But our main task is to bear witness to Christ. We'll see that in a minute, okay? So verses 1 through 4 talk about the preservation of God over his people. Now we move into chapter, and we move a little further, okay, in, into it in verse 4, okay? In verse 3, we, we come across these interesting characters, these two witnesses, all right? And I will grant, look, I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days. Right? Now that's the same time frame, time period, that, this, that God's people are kept, 42 months. Okay, it's the same time period that the, the other picture of God's people, that woman, that covenant community that gives birth to the Messiah, this God's faithful people, isn't Mary so much as that Jesus comes from the faithful line of David, okay? He's, he, he, he's born from the faithful line of, of God's people because God has always had a people. And when he's, exa- when he's raised after his death and raised and the devil can't get to him, okay, she flees into the wilderness for the same amount of time. It's, it's the same picture, I would argue. So let's go on. 1200 and um, the, the, the verse 4 
Uh, verse 3, and I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. All right, now, um, I would say again that, that these two witnesses are another picture of the church. Okay, they're not two literal people. They're actually symbolic. Everything is symbolic. It's symbolic of the church as a witnessing body. All right. So let's begin to look at that. All right. Uh, notice um, how are these two witnesses clothed? What's that? An, what's that an indication of? Sackcloth. Mourning. Okay. Also judgment. Okay. Judgment. All right. These are. These these guys uh, are 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 prophesying just like just like just like John was told to prophesy, all right. So here we have a picture, I believe. Let me give you my reasons for that. Okay, this idea of witness, this idea of witness, for example, um, and I'm just going to give you the scripture text if you want to write them down. Okay, in Revelation two thirteen. Okay, Christians are Jesus's witnesses. Also in Revelation seventeen sixteen. We are, we are his witnesses. Um, in Revelation 1-2, Revelation 1-9, Revelation 12-17, 19-20, and 24, Christians are entrusted with the witness of Jesus or with the testimony of Jesus. That's what, we're, that's what our purpose is, is, is to bear witness to Jesus. In Revelation 1-5, Jesus is the faithful witness. These two witnesses, okay, are prophets. They're called, they're called prophets, right? Who bear the message of impending judgment, hence the sackcloth. Okay, the peril that shows that. All right. Uh, they are portrayed as wielding power to inflict miraculous signs of judgment. So in a sense, what we find happening to these two witnesses, in, a, in, in some sense, parallel what happened to the life of our Lord, all right? So notice, um, uh, what, what, um, what Old Testament prophet was responsible for shutting up the sky and causing a drought and destroying the enemies by fire? No. Elijah. And what prophet turned blood to, uh, water to blood and other plagues? That was Moses, okay? So you've got these two key Old Testament f figures that are, that, that are actually, uh, in a sense, giving us, giving us um, material for this image, all right? Um, again, notice the idea of two, two witnesses. Why not four? Why not six? Well, two um, satisfies the quorum needed to establish reliable evidence in biblical jurisprudence. Nothing was heard except by two witnesses. Yes. Okay. Um, they're portrayed in the imagery of Zechariah's vision. Zechariah has this vision also of the temple being rebuilt. All right. And there are two key people in Zechariah, two key figures, the priest Joshua and the king Zerubbabel. And both of them are engaged by God in rebuilding the temple. Now, the particular temple that we're talking about at that time was the temple that was rebuilt after the Jews came back from Babylonian captivity, not the Herodian temple. But you can't read Zechariah without reading Revelation <laughs> because you've got a sense in which there's more going on than just building a stick and stone building. All right, there's something going on here that's of far more significance. So um, we have these two individuals, okay, in Zechariah's imagery, all right? And as this is connected with the text in Zechariah 4, it is from there that the two witnesses are seen by, to be Zerubbabel. Okay, he's the royal figure who is to build the temple, and Joshua, the high priest who is, led, who is to lead God's people in worship in the temple. So both, both prefigure, both are prefigures of the Messiah, we see Jesus in both Zerubbabel and we see Jesus in both um, Joshua. Actually, Joshua's name is Jesus. Okay. Who bring both the royal and priestly functions together in the building of the temple. You can't have a temple without a king and you can't have a temple without priests. All right. So the two witnesses in, in Revelation 11, 
I think, are clearly described as prophets. And with the connection to Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, they are also seen as kings and priests. All right. And here the two stand, I would argue, for the whole church. Again, it's another picture of the whole. It's, it's what we see in the first three verses of the temple. The temple is a way of looking at the church. Okay, in terms of its being holy, we're holy people, being kept and preserved by God, right? And here we have the church being viewed in terms of its purpose. We are to witness. We are to be bold in our witness. The church has a prophetic role to play in this world, right? I mean, we, we do. We, we, we are to not only offer the gospel to people, but it's okay to warn people if they don't accept Christ. And that's not very politically correct, but I mean, this is what's going to get these guys killed eventually, right? All right. So verses five and six, note this again, um, note this. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. That's Elijah. And they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as desired. That's Moses. Now, isn't it interesting that the particular things that are described in terms of their capability are also given in the six trumpets? Same kinds of things happen with those six trumpets that supposedly these two witnesses have the power to inflict upon the nations, okay, upon unbelievers. Now, when it says if anyone tries to harm them, okay, we've got to be careful here because if we if these are if this is the, the picture of the church, those who are sealed, those who are measured, those who are called to bear witness, all right, we know that the harm is not. Um, it's, it's, it's not that they cannot be harmed physically, right? Because they die. They're, they're killed. So what is the nature of the harm? What is, what is the devil's schema? What is his method with God's people? He wants to shut us down. He wants to silence our witness by eroding our faith so that we are not influential in our testimony makes us completely ineffective, right? That's what he wants, okay? And, and, and one, of his, one of the ways he does that is to try to intimidate through persecution, all right? If he can shut us down by actually killing us, he'll do that. But as, as one of the church fathers said, the blood of the saints is the seed of the church, okay? The more you kill us, the more we grow, okay? It's, that's, what, that's what it is, all right? The other way he tries to shut us down is by corrupting us. Okay, so we become corrupt. We, 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 you know, we have the power, of, we have the, 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 the evidence of godliness, but we lack the power thereof. We have all the accoutrements of godliness, but no power, all right, or distracting us. So, so the, the, the harm that cannot be done to them, okay, is that kind of harm. Um, again, the harm has to do with squelching or compromising their witness, okay, uh, the witnesses fight against their foes. Now you see that. How, how, is, how is they des described as fighting? Well, fire uh, pours out of their mouth. Again, is that true? Is that literally true? I mean, Jesus is depicted as a sword coming out of his mouth in, in Revelation. Is that, is that, would we expect that when Jesus comes back, he's going to actually have a sword? No, what's that a picture of? It's a picture of the power of the word. The power of the word. So how... How do these two witnesses, i.e. the church, okay, how do we defend ourselves? How do we go on the offensive? By the word. The word. Listen to Jeremiah. I love this, Jeremiah. It says, Jeremiah 23. Uh, this is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah. Let the prophet who has a dream tell his dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw? In common with wheat, declares the Lord. Okay, straw is the dream, the false dream. Wheat is the word. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks rocks in pieces. Okay. 
Now, uh, what may still be happening here, again, if this is the same time frame, okay, so we can expect what's happening from the time of Christ's ascension to glory to the time of his second coming in the, in the great city, i.e. the world, okay, the, this age, the holy city is preserved and kept, right? The holy city is preserved and kept. And it's also not preserved and kept as a ghetto. It's preserved and kept in terms of his mission as a witness, all right? And so... How do we defend ourselves? How do we, how does the church uh, go on the offensive? It's through the gospel, it's through the word, it's through preaching and teaching and bearing witness to Christ. Now, um, again, uh, it could very well be that paralleling to this, okay, what is happening is because of the way the church is being treated in the world, okay, resisted, in some cases persecuted, killed, that's part of the reason why we have the trumpets. Why we have, again, the seals being broken. Why we have the bowls. What's God's judgment? Why is God judging the world? He's judging the world primarily because of its sin. But that is, that is, embla- that is emboldened or that is highlighted with a big yellow highlighter in the way the world, the, the people on the earth, they're, they're, treat God's people. You with me? Now, we don't want to get develop a persecution complex on our shoulders, right? Walk around and say, oh, we're persecuted, all right? But the fact of the matter is, is that we are an anomaly here in the United States. We're an anomaly when it comes to suffering for the sake of the gospel. This country was founded, again, the, the, the country, not, not, the, not the land. The land was inhabited before Europeans arrived, right? We know that, okay. But but um, I just re- I just watched a special on the founding of um, Plymouth what, Plymouth um, in Massachusetts with William Bradford and, and and the separatists who came over on the Mayflower. They were serious about establishing a a community of saints in this world that would be preserved and kept and holy. All right. Now they happened to travel over with people who weren't with them. Okay, and the economic stuff started to kick in pretty quick. You know. So Bradford, in his, to his dying day, felt like he failed to really establish that. All right, But the fact of the matter is, is that, that our country has been established from this very beginning. And we have not, Christians in this country have not experienced persecution. Because, basically, Christians were the ones who founded this country. Right? I mean, that's, that's the fact. Now, if you happen to spend some time in of the third world or in China or in other parts of the world, you'll experience Christians who are gathered in little meetings like this with one light in the room on, all of them sharing the light as they read their Bibles because they could get arrested for doing that. Okay? So I would say the vast majority of the church throughout this 1260 days, if you will, has known persecution has known resistance of the gospel. Okay, we're an anomaly. And that may change. It may change faster than we realize, but it may change. Okay? Uh, I just happened to read an article today um, in the Pennsylvania House, uh, the, 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 which was comparable to our state representatives in Pennsylvania and Harrisburg. Um, uh, 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 Christian representatives offered prayer I guess it was time for prayer, and she offered prayer in the name of Jesus. And a newly elected uh, Muslim woman who had a hajib on took offense to that. It's offensive. It's Islamophobic if you mention Jesus' name. Imagine that. It's Islamophobic if you mention Jesus' name. Okay, and the, 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 the Muslim representative said, we wanted to, we want to come and, 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 and not... Uh, not uh, focus our, theologi- our, our our religious differences and so forth while she wore her hajib. What does her hajib indicate if not a religious issue? Isn't it a religious symbol? She wears, her, she wears her religion on her head. If you say to her, take off your hajib, you'll say, you're violating the, fifth, the, fifth, uh, the first amendment. Right? We wear Jesus on our sleeve. All right? And so, again, you, you, you're really seeing where the opposition was right from the very beginning. All right, so what happens now, okay? Look at what happens. 
Um, so they're, 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 <coughs> the, 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 if this is the church, okay, verse 7, well, they have finished their testimony. Okay? When, when, when that comes to a completion, what happens? We'll meet the beast later on. Okay, The beast will come back. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them, all right, and conquer them and kill them. Elaine, ready? This hasn't happened yet. Okay, this is a future event. Okay, future to us, where the testimony will have ended, okay, due to the due to the witnesses being killed, all right? And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that is symbolically called Sodom and Egypt and um, where the Lord was crucified. Okay, so here's, here's the deal. I mean, these cities represent in the scripture, these, these are big name cities that rebel against God and oppose God's presence and king, kingdom, right? All right? And Jerusalem, finally, what does, what does Jerusalem do? It kills the, their own Messiah. All right? So, so are we talking about a literal Sodom now or a literal Jerusalem or a literal Egypt? No, we're talking about the, the, the spirit that was operating in those particular cities at that particular time in biblical history is here with us now in that great, what we call the great city, the city of man. Okay, the city of man. Now, um, there's going to come a time when the church, before the seventh trumpet is blown, or close to when it's blown, okay, when the church will come to almost a, an end in itself. Okay, it doesn't mean that every Christian will be killed. It doesn't mean that that there aren't going to be, it means that the effect, that the church will have lost its effectiveness primarily due to, to mass persecution. Okay? The witnesses will be killed. The church will have been conquered. It will appear to have happened. Okay? It will appear to have happened. Now look, look at verse, uh, verse 9. For three and a half days, just for three and a half days, a short time. Now this is symbolic too. But, Notice, where do we run across close to three days and other places in Scripture? Yeah, he's in the grave. So there's this kind of parallelism going on, all right? So for three and a half days, some, of the, some, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations, okay, gaze at their dead bodies. There's some gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to give them proper burial, Okay. In other words, the, the picture here is that the world hates the church, right? And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Now, think with me for a minute. Now, we don't want we we want to, we want to take this passage and we want to compare it with other scriptures, okay? I know that there are unbelievers who come to faith in Jesus because of the witness and testimony of the church, right? Praise God for that. Well, that's what we're here for, right? Gospel saturation. Bring the gospel into the world. You know, that's what we want to do. We want to befriend the unbeliever. We don't want to, you know, you know, say, oh, you're a sinner. We don't want to deal with you. That's not the point. The point is that simply as we are out doing what we should be doing, sharing the gospel, you know, there will be people who will come to faith, but there will also be people who will show their true colors, We preached on persecution last Sunday. There'll be people who will not like your Jesus at all. And will not like you because you are a follower of Jesus. Get used to it. It's going to happen. All right? And, it's, and, and I think what we're seeing here is a, is a prophetic picture of toward the time when that seventh trumpet will be blown. That trumpet that will bring in the the, the, the glorious coming of Christ, okay? This is kind of a matrix of, of events, all right? It will seem that the church will have just lost everything. We're done. Maybe in our lifetime and maybe in our children's lifetime, our grandchildren's lifetime, we don't know, but it's coming, okay? 
Now the beast represents secular, evil power. It could be the state, whatever. I'm not talking about one particular country, one particular government. But 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 the beast, the image of a beast, a beast, okay, vicious, ruthless, okay, powerful. All right. Hear about that lady who um who jumped over a fence in one zoo to uh, do a selfie with a with a puma, and she got the cat went after her, ripped her open. Like what would any what was anybody thinking? It's a kitty cat, nice pussy cat, you know. And 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 the people in the zoo said we, that's why we have those three or four fences. She got over three or four fences to get a selfie of her with a puma. All right, and wondered, and and I mean beast. This is this is this is meant to strike us with fear. It's a wild thing, right? It's right there. It's a nice, nice petty thing. So, so here the beast again is. We'll get into it later on, a little later. The beast represents um, the the persecuting power of the state. Who? What state? What persecuting power did John know? What state? What came from the state? Rome. Rome. Rome hasn't been the only persecuting power. All right. In some parts of the world, if you're in a Muslim country, you can't you can't even overtly share your faith. Okay? You're in certain secular China right now. I mean, the church is growing in spite of that, but the Chinese government is kind of cracking down on it more and more. All right? So, it it was it would appear to me there's there's coming a day when that will happen. Okay? We can expect it, but it's going to be close to the time of Christ's coming. Because it's only going to be for three and a half years, three and a half days, all right, a short period of time, and then what? Then what happens? Well, resurrection. Look at this, verse eleven. But after three and a half days, all right, a breath of life from God will come into them, right? And um, uh, they stood up on their feet, and great fear uh, fell on those who saw them. Okay, great fear fell on those who saw them. Um, then, then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. Okay. And they went up into heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. Right. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. A tenth of the city fell. And let me get back to where I want to be in my notes or I'm going to really be messed up. Uh, okay. Yeah. Tenth of a city fell. And uh, again, uh, 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Well, let's look at this. Okay, again, um, everything so far has been symbolic, right? I mean, the realities that are being depicted, but they're being depicted in, in, in imagery and in symbols. Same here. All right, we've got to hold it there, but let's try to uh, weed it out a little bit. All right. Um, the next, the next event that happens, so let's note this, okay, uh, verse 14, the second woe has passed, okay, everything from chapter 10 through 11 is that second woe. The third woe is soon to come, and verse 15, it's there, the, the, the seventh trumpet. And we know from the seventh trumpet that it's, it's the second coming of Christ, okay? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, okay? And note, and uh, you have taken in verse uh, 17, uh, uh, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. All right? So there's this matrix of events toward the, the very end, toward the time when what we would call the seventh trumpet is going to be blown. We can expect, again, the church to be overrun and almost completely put out of commission. All right? Toward the end. But... But, but, but only for a short period of time. And then there's going to be a very obvious, wonderful event <laughs> called the resurrection. All right? And at the time of the resurrection, okay, God will begin to finally bring judgment on this, on this planet, on this world. All right? And again, notice, notice um, the, um, the, the fear fa fa falls on, on people. Okay? Um, so this is not going to be a secret event. Okay? It's going to be a very visible event, isn't it? The world will see it. All right. 
But notice, let's talk about the, 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 the 7,000, the 10th of the city and the 7,000. Um, again, these are Old Testament um, 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 thoughts as well. A one-tenth and 7,000 are Old Testament references to the faithful remnant of believers. Now, now follow me here, okay? Who resist the pressures of persecution and compromise, who remain faithful to the Lord. Okay, I, uh, Elijah, I'm the only one, Lord. You know, 7,000 haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Okay, um, what Revelation does, okay, what God does, is he takes these numbers, these numbers that would indicate uh, his preservation of the faithful, and he turns them on their head. The 7,000 represent the beginnings of the ultimate judgment on the lost. Okay, and this is kind of like the, not the remnant of the saved, but the remnant of the lost that precede the final destruction of all the lost. Here, one-tenth of the great city and 7,000 of its inhabitants are simply the first installment of the judgment. The first installment of the final judgment. In other words, this, this severe earthquake is just a pre-trimmer of the great earthquake that's going to happen when the sixth seal uh, uh, was symbolized with the sixth seal and the seventh bowl. So here we have a transition point, okay, between the sixth trumpet with its interlude visions. We talked about it's like an interlude period and the seventh trumpet that is another vision of the final judgment. So we've come up to the final judgment again, haven't we? Okay, look at, look, look, let's go to, uh, again, verse 15. The seventh trumpet, again, the seventh angel blew the, his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, again, what's this a picture of? If it's not a picture of the final glorious coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's not, not everything is given to us in detail here, but prior to that, we see the resurrection of the saints, right? Now, what does it mean, again, uh, when it talks about... Um, um, that all those who were terrified gave glory to God, to God in heaven. Well, does that mean they were saved? Probably not. Nebuchadnezzar gave glory to the God in heaven. He was never saved. It's coming a day where every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, right? That Jesus, what? Is Lord, whether they're his or not. So the, the, the fact of the matter is that we can expect, I think, toward the end of the, the end of the end, okay? When, when, when things are getting closer to the to the return of Christ, one of, the, one of the signs that we can anticipate is that the church will probably experience a real downturn in its influence and in its effectiveness but for a short period of time, primarily due to universal persecution. Okay? Well, it could be. It could be, but I would just, I would just add that, that there have been other episodes in the life of the church if you've lived in if you would live historically in certain periods of time they would think that's happening to them right then pardon i think what's going to happen is you're going to actually see um, very little christianity at all i'm sorry go ahead Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, Jesus does talk about that this gospel shall be preached in all the world. As things get worse and worse, it shall be preached in all the world. So, we, we, so, we've, got, so we've got a lot of different things happening. I think that, that there's going to be certainly, you know, uh, greater uh, opportunity for the gospel to reach people before Christ comes back. But there's going to come a time, there's going to come a period toward the end where it would seem that the opposition to the gospel is stronger than the gospel itself. Okay, where, where there's going to be, uh, you know, it's not going to be just, I mean, it's going to be almost like a silence. It's going to be like a death. Okay, like a death. Well, the believers are being silenced probably because they're being killed. Okay, it isn't, it isn't that, it isn't that, well, the other thing to keep in mind too, Patty, is that there have been times when, again, in, in various places of the world where the church has gone what we call underground, okay, 
in fact, when I was a new Christian back in the late 60s, we talked about the underground church in Soviet bloc countries, the underground church. All right. Well, we knew there was a church, but it had gone underground, you know, and, and in the early in the early church. OK, um, you've seen the symbol of the fish representing. OK, and the fish, the fish, the fit. Pardon. Yeah, they, 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 the, yeah, because the, the, the spelling of fish, eklus, okay, with the words meant Jesus Christus Dios, okay, Jesus Christ, God, uh, Son, Savior, okay, so those, the, the, the Greek letters that spelled fish were an acrostic for the titles for Christ. So you would be sitting like in a, like in some sort of public event or something, and you'd be sitting next to someone, and you would draw the picture symbol of the fish, and if, you know, it's kind of like, they say, oh, that's a believer. It's kind of like code. Okay, Eclus. Well, why would they do that? Because to, to come out publicly meant you could be killed. Okay? And Jesus himself, you know, I mean, he, he, talk, he, calls, he calls the church at times to, you know, flee. You know, if you, if you hear, you, then you flee to the mountains if you have, can, you know. But, but yeah, I, it, churches, there's been times when the church has thought, well, it's it. This is it. Okay? But it seems to me from this passage that the it's going to be a, if if the if the if I'm correct and again I'm open to being corrected but um, the the idea here is if the two witnesses do represent the church okay then we see what happens to them they're killed they're silenced the world rejoices over the demise now again how will that happen I don't know will it be a process I don't know will it be just kind of uh, all full out frontal attack that'll bring it about with, without any indication it was coming. I don't know. All right. But in the meantime, the, this, this passage is telling us that as Christians, we are to be witnesses, right? We are to bear witness to Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. Well, no. If they got killed, they're silent, though, right? Because that's what happens. How do how do how do how do they become silent? They're they're killed. The beast kills them. So we we find the opposition to us in terms of the the devil, the the beast from the sea, the beast from the earth, and the great harlot Babylon. Those are the entities that that oppose the work of the Church of Jesus Christ in this world, and has opposed that work right from the very beginning. We'll see right from the very beginning, right when 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 he when when he is born, okay, um, the the devil goes after the woman. Right from the very beginning, he does. All right, he doesn't wait for months. He just he he cannot. The devil cannot oppose Christ. Who does he turn to? Christ's followers. Now that. He's fooled because he can't really oppose us either. How does Christ gain victory? How does he do it? He, huh? By his death. And notice what happens. How do we, how, do, how does the church collectively gain glory? By its death. Just like Christ will be, we will be as it were in the grave for three, what, like three years. Three, three, three and a half days, I should, should say. And then what happens? Does death hold us? No. Now, some people have looked at that passage and, and said, no, that, that's not the resurrection of the saints. That's going to be the great final revival before the coming of Christ. Now, there's some who interpret it that way. I think, no, I think it's the resurrection myself. You know, but um, all right. Any thoughts, comments, questions? And speak up a little loud because I'm having a hard time hearing it down here. Yeah. That's always the case. What was the gist of what you read? 
Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So the spirit of the Antichrist has been with us uh, right from the very beginning. Now, it could very well be, again, as we see, the beast here represents the Antichrist in its, you know, most vicious and most uh, extreme form. And that's, that's yet to happen. That's one of those things I would say hasn't happened yet. All right. But what's happening now? Well, the two witnesses are operating. Okay. As a matter of fact, I, I think, let me look at something real quick. Um, hold on just a second. Let me look at this. Uh, let me look here. Uh, okay, hold on a minute. Let me just do something real quick. Uh, Just a minute. I'll see if. Yeah. Um, notice in verse eight where it says, "And their bodies." Verse eight of chapter eleven. Is to say their bodies. Literally, it means their body. One. Their body. Okay. Now, how can two have one body? Well, it's a symbol. Again, I mean, you're talking about something that's that is greater than the two. Okay. It's 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 the it's it's what the two represent. All right. Now, let me just make this last proviso in a comment. Okay. Th these are my my views. All right. Uh, feel free to question me and. And, uh, and also, you know, there are other folk that would, would say it differently. And we've talked about the four different schools, right? Again, and maybe, you're th maybe you lean in another direction, which is fine. I just personally think that if you say everything is yet to happen and, and everything is taken, quote unquote, literally, I mean, we're going to actually have two guys who are going to uh, be standing in the literal Jerusalem and they're going to be actually preaching for 42 months, all right? And then this actual beast is going to rise up from the pit and kill them. All right. Okay. But, all right. But to me, it's a different perspective if we say these are symbols that represent realities. And, and you're looking and say, well, how, how, does he, how does the rest of the Bible interpret this? You know, what's the temple? You know, Jesus said, I am the temple. Enjoy this body. And, and, and they, they took him literally and they said, you know, in other words, it took Herod 40 years that you're going to just raise your body and, you know. You're to... So that sort of thing it happens all the time in Scripture. It's always, you know, so what are the, what, what are the illusions? What are the, what are the, what's the theological meaning behind this, you know? Now, the 42 months goes back to Daniel. You know, we, we, you know that, that, that book needs to be understood in light of this. And I think Daniel's just giving us, from Daniel's perspective, before, you know, before the return of the, the Jews to to the Holy Land, from Daniel's perspective, Daniel's looking into the future that, that begins with the coming of Christ. Okay, and, and, and Daniel's told to seal things up, right? And John's told to unseal them, right? So, so uh, that's, that's why I go the way I go, partly, okay? All right, you guys have been very good, okay? Better down here than upstairs, a little more cozy, yeah? Evening and for our time to study your word. Um, Lord, you know, again, this is my perspective. And I, I know, Lord, that when we come to a book like Revelation, that there are Christians who differ, who love Christ, who differ in their interpretation. And so, Lord, I just pray that my brothers and sisters would be open to, you know, l learning themselves. And, uh, uh, Lord, I've done my best and my perspective to present this passage. But, Lord, I know there's a lot, a lot to it that I don't know. I'll be the first to, to confess that. So, Dismiss us now. Go with us uh, this evening in Jesus' name. Amen.